Chapter Three of My Danish Sweetheart, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Violet Blue of Albertville. My Danish Sweetheart, Volume One by William Clark Russell. Chapter Three, In the Lifeboat. Now had come the moment when I should need the utmost exertion of nerve and coolness my nature was equal to. There was a large, globular lamp alight in the little building. Its luster vaguely touched the boat and helped me to see what was going on and who were present. Nevertheless, I shouted, Are all hands aboard? All hands! came a hurricane response. All got your belts on? I cried. All! was the answer. That is to say, all excepting myself, who, having worn a cork jacket once, bowed never again to embark thus encumbered. Are your sails hooked on, ready for hoisting? I shouted. All ready, sir! And your haul-off rope? All ready, sir! now then my lads look out all hands there was a moment's pause let her go i roared a man stood close under the stern ready to pass his knife along the lashing which held the chain to the boat stand by he shouted all gone i heard the clank of the chain as it fell an instant after the boat was in motion slowly at first but in a few breaths she had gathered the full way that her own weight and the incline gave her and rushed down the slipway but almost noiselessly so thickly greased was the timber structure with some hands hoisting the foresail as she sped and others grimly and motionless facing seawards ready to grasp and drag upon the haul-off rope the moment the craft should be water-borne amid the smothering surf the thunderous slatting of the sail as the yard mounted flinging a noise of rending upon the ear as though the clouds were whipping the hurricane in rags the furious roaring and seething and crackling and hissing of the mountainous breakers toward which the boat was darting the indescribable yelling of the gale sweeping past our ears as the fabric fled down the ways the instant sight of the torn and mangled skies which seemed dimly revealed somehow by the snowstorms of froth coursing along the bay all this combined into an impression which though it could not have taken longer than a second or two to produce it dwells upon my mind with so much sharpness that the whole experience of my life might well have gone to the manufacture of it we touched the wash of the sea and burst through a cloud of foam in the beat of a heart the boat was up to our knees in water in another she was freeing herself and leaping to the height of the next boiling acclivity with my eight men rigid as iron statues in their manner of hauling and in their confrontment of the sea dragging the craft through the surf and into deep water by the haul-off rope attached to an anchor some considerable distance ahead of the end of the slipway at the moment of the boat smiting the first of the breakers i grasped the tiller ropes and on the men letting go the haul-off line i headed the craft away on the port tack my intention being to reach down in the direction of hurricane point so as to be able to fetch the bark on the second board one had hardly the wits to notice the scene at the first going off so headlong was the tumble upon the beach so clamorous the rush of the tempest and so frightfully wild the leapings and launchings of the boat amid the heavily broken surface of froth but now she had the weight of the gale in the close-reefed lug that had been shown to it and this steadied her and high as the sea ran yet as the water deepened the surge grew regular and i was able to settle down to my job of handling the boat the worst being over at least so far as our outward excursion went 
I glanced shorewards and observed the blaze of a port fire, held out by a man near the boathouse, to serve as a signal to the bark that help was going to her. The fire was blue, the blaze of it was brilliant, and it lighted up a wide area of the foreshore, throwing out the figures of the crowd who watched us, and the outline of the boathouse, and flinging a ghastly tint upon every tall upheaval of surf. The radiance lay in a sort of circle upon the ebony of the night, with what I have named showing in it as though it was a picture cast by a magic lantern upon a black curtain you could see nothing of the lights of the town for it on either hand of this luminous frame the houses went blending into the land and each way was all sheer ink shortly after the signal of port fire they sent up a rocket from the bark it was a crimson ball and it broke like a flash of lightning under the ragged rush of the sky and then out leaped afresh the flames of a flare or as you might call it a bonfire from the deck of the vessel a burning tar-barrel perhaps and the light of it disclosed the vision of the ship plunging awfully again and again veiled by storms of crystal which the fathom-high flames of the flare flashed into prisms one of our men roared out with an oath she'll have taken the twins afore we get to her and another bellowed why did they wait to drag a mile afore they signalled but no more was said just then indeed a man needed to exert the whole strength of his lungs to make himself heard the edge of the wind seemed to clip the loudest shout as it left the lips as you would sever a rope with a knife our boat was small for a craft of her character, but a noble, brave, nimble fabric, as had been again and again proved, and every man of us, allowing that good usage was given her, had such confidence in the Janet, that we would not have exchanged her for the largest, handsomest, and best-tested boat on the coast of the United Kingdom. You would have understood her merits had you been with us on this night. I was at the yoke lines. Pentreath, my second-in-command, sat with his foot against the side, gripping the foresheet, ready to let go in an instant. The mizzen had been hoisted, and the rest of the men, crouching down upon the thwarts, sat staring ahead, with iron countenances, with ever so much as a stoop among them, to the hardest wash of the sturge, that might sweep with a wild hissing shriek athwart their sea-helmets, and half fill the boat as it came bursting in smoke over the weather-bow, till, for the space of a wink or two, the black gale was as white as a snowstorm overhead. As we reached out, the sea grew weightier. Never before had I known a greater sea in that bay. The ridges seemed to stand up to twice the height of our masts. Every peak boiled, and as we rose to the summit of it, the boat was smothered in the foam of her own churning, and in the headlong, giddy, dazzling rush into which she soared, with the whole weight of the gale in her fragment of lug, bowing her over and sending her, as you might have believed, gunwale down under the long, indigo slant of the under-running billow we held on all as mute as death in the boat from time to time we rose to the head of the sea and i would take a look in the direction of the bark and catch a glimpse of the windy spark of her flare or the meteoric sailing of a rocket over her mastheads there should have been a moon but the planet was without power to strike the faintest illumination into the heaps and rags of vapours which were pouring up like smoke over the edge of the raging atlantic horizon the picture of the parlour I had just left would sometimes arise before me. I figured my mother peering out at the black and throbbing scene of the bay. I imagined Mr. Trembeth at her side, uttering such words of comfort and of hope as occurred to him. But such fancies as these seemed to be beaten away by the breath of the hurricane as rapidly as they were formed. Should we be in time? If the vessel's cables parted, she was doomed. 
nay if she should continue to drag another quarter of an hour she would be on to the twins and go to pieces as a child's house of bricks falls to the touch of a hand ready about i roared the helm was put down the foresheet eased off and round came the boat nobly on the very pinnacle of a surge pausing a moment as she there poised and then plunging into the hollow to rise again with her foresail full and heading some points to windward of the vessel we were now steering for through it we stormed sea after sea bursting from the lifeboat's bow in pallid clouds which the wind sent whirling in shrieks so articulate was the sound of the slinging spray into the blackness landwards here and there a tiny spark of lamp flickering in the thick of the gloom told us the situation of tintranali but there was nothing more to be seen that way the land and the sky above it met in a deep impenetrable dye towards which to leeward of us the tall seas went flashing in long yearning coils throbbing into mere pallidness when a cable's length distant they had kindled another fire aboard the bark or else had plied the old one with fresh fuel she was visible by the light of the flames the white of her furled canvas coming and going to the fluctuating fires and i marked with the heart that sank in me the dreadful manner of her labouring she was pitching bows under and rolling too and by the shining of the signal fire upon her deck offered a most wonderful sight rendered terrible also by the view that we could now get of a crowd of men hanging in a lump in her starboard forerigging the second coxswain flashed a port fire that they might know the lifeboat was at hand and we went plunging and sweeping down to a point some little distance ahead of the bark the crowd of us irradiated by the stream of emerald green flame all ready with the anchor lads i shouted all ready sir was the answer down foresail and as i gave this order i put the helm down and brought the boathead to a wind about thirty fathoms ahead of the ship let go the anchor unstep the foremast bawled the second coxswain and while this was doing he and another swiftly lifted the mizzenmast out of its bearings and laid it along veer away cable handsomely i shouted and pitching and foaming now dropping into a hollow that seemed fifty feet deep now appearing to scale a surge that lifted the boat's bow almost dead on end over her stern all in a fashion to make the brain of the stoutest and most experienced among us reel again we dropped alongside in what followed there was so much confusion so much uproar such distraction of shouts in foreign and unintelligible accents such a terrible washing of seas such bewilderment born of the darkness of the complicated demands upon the attention through need of keeping the boat clear of the huge chopping bows of the bark through bawling to the men in the rigging and receiving answers which we could not understand that this passage of my singular adventure could scarcely be less vague to me in memory if instead of having been an actor in it i had read it in a book there were six or seven men as well as i could make out clustered in the fore-rigging i believed i could see others in the mizzen shrouds this being my notion my consuming anxiety was to drop the boat down on the quarter as quickly as possible for it was not only that the twins were within a cable's range astern with the fury of the foam there making a kind of shining upon the water that might have passed for moonlight such was the volume and height of the sea roaring betwixt the labouring ship and our boat that at every toss of the little fabric at every ponderous lean down of the great groaning black hull towering over us we stood to be staved the fellows in the fore-rigging seemed to be stupefied we all of us yelled jump jump watch as she rises and jump for god's sake 
Meanwhile, keeping astern of the cable so as to hold the boat abreast of them, it seemed an eternity before they understood, and yet a minute had not passed since we dropped down. When a cry broke from them, the first one jumped, and then another, and then the rest of them sprang, and there they were lying in a huddle in the bottom of the boat, one or two of them groaning dreadfully, as though from broken limbs or worse injuries still, all of them motionless as they lay when they jumped, like folk nearly dead of terror and cold and pain. "'Veer out now, my lads, veer out!' I cried, handsomely, that we may get smartly under the mizzen shrouds. "'There's nobody there, sir,' roared one of my men. "'No!' I looked and found it had been an illusion of my sight, due to the flame of the flare that was burning fiercely on the main deck. "'Are you all here?' I cried, addressing the dusky huddle of men at the bottom of the boat. Something was said, but the gale deafened me, and I could catch no meaning, no syllables, indeed, in the answer. "'They'll all be here, sir!' shouted one of my crew. "'The port davits are empty, and some'll have left in the boat!' A great sea swung up at that instant flush with the level of the bulwark rails, with a heel of the bark that closed her decks bare to the bright fires of the signal. "'They must be all here,' I cried. "'But look well. Is there one among you who can catch any signs of a living man on board?' They waited for the next upheaval of sea. Then rose a shout. "'They're all here, sir, you'll find. Heave ahead, then, my lads,' by which I meant that they should haul upon the cable to drag the boat clear of the dreadful crushing, shearing chop of the overhanging boughs of the bark. At that instant a head showered over a little rail, a little abaft the fore shrouds, and the clear, piercing voice of a boy cried, with as good an English accent as I myself have, "'My father is ill and helpless in the cabin. Do not leave us!' no no we will not leave you i instantly shouted in return sending my voice fair to the lad from the height of a sea that pretty well brought his and my head on a level how many are there of you two was the answer i had to wait for the boat to slide up to the summit of the next surge ere i could call out again the black yawns betwixt us and the bark might have passed for valleys looked at from a hillside so horribly hollow and deep were they they were pale and yet dusky too with sheets of foam a soul-confounding noise of thunderous washing and seething rose up from them when we were in one of those hollows the great mass of the dark fabric of the bark seemed to tower fifty feet above us and we lay becalmed hanging while you might have counted five in absolute stagnation with the yell of the wind sweeping over our heads as though we were in the heart of a pit cannot your father help himself at all i bawled to the boy he cannot sir he must be lifted he answered in a shriek for his high clear piercing cry thus sounded by heaven then lads i bawled to my men there's no time to be lost we must bundle the poor fellow over somehow and help the lad nothing will have been done if we leave them behind us watch your chance and follow me three of you at the instance of saying this i made a spring from the height of the gratings on which i stood and got into the forechains the men then being on the level of that platform and as actively as a cat for few young fellows had nimbler limbs i scrambled over the bulwark on to the deck just in time to escape a huge fold of rushing water that foamed sheer through the chains with a spite and weight that must instantly have settled my business for me i was in the act of running along the deck to where the lad stood that is to say a little forward of the gangway not doubting that the others of my crew whom i had called upon were following with as much alertness as i had exhibited when i felt a shock as of a thump pass through the bark she has struck thought i 
but hardly was i sensible of this tremor through the vessel when there arose a wild and dreadful cry from alongside heavenly god how am i to describe that shocking noise of human distress i fled to the rail and looked over it it was all boiling water under me with just a sight of the black line of the gunwale or of the keel of the lifeboat but there was such a raging foam such a thickness of seething yeast smoking into the hurricane as though some volcanic eruption had happened right under the bark filling the air with steam that there was nothing whatever to be seen saving just that dark glance of keel or gunwale as i have said which however vanished as i looked in the depth of the hissing spumy smother i knew by this that the lifeboat must have been staved and filled by a sudden fling of her against the massive sides of the bark for she was a self-writing craft and though she might have thrown every soul in her out as she rolled over yet she would have rose buoyant again emptying herself as she leapt into the surge and there she would have been alongside without a creature in her if you will but a good boat riding stoutly to her cable but she had been stove and now she was gone the blazing tar-bell on the main deck enabled me to see my way to rush aft i cried to the lad as i sped the boat is staved all hands of her are overboard and drowning heave ropes ends over the side fling life buoys and thus shouting scarcely knowing indeed what i had called out so confounded was i so shocked so horrified so heartbroken i may say by the suddenness and the fearfulness of this disaster i reached the quarter of the bark and overhung it but i could see nothing the cloudy boiling rose and fell and with every mighty drop of the great square counter of the bark the sea swept in a roar from either hand of her with a cataractal fury that would rush whatever was afloat in it dozens of fathoms distant at every send here and there now i believe i could distinguish some small black object but the nearer pallid waters dimmed into blackness at a little distance and if those dark points which i observed were the heads of swimmers then such was the headlong race of the surge they were sweeping into the throbbing dusk ere i could make sure of them i stood as one paralyzed from head to foot my inability to be of the least service to my poor comrades and the unhappy danes caused me to feel as though the very heart in me had ceased to beat the young fellow came to my side what is to be done he cried nothing i answered in a passion of grief what can be done god grant that many of them will reach the shore the hurl of the sea is landwards and their life-belts will float them but your people are doomed and so are we he exclaimed shrilly yet without perceptible terror with nothing worse than wild excitement in his accents there are rocks directly under our stern are you a sailor no oh do god a good what is to be done cried the lad i cast my eyes despairingly around the tar-barrel was still burning bravely upon the deck defying the ceaseless sweeping of spray from over the bows the windy unearthly light tinctured the ship with its sickly sallow hue to the height of her lower yards and the whole ghastly body of her was to be seen as she rolled and plunged under a sky that was the blacker for the light of the distress flare and upon a sea whose vast spreads of creaming brows would again and again come charging along to the very height of the bulwark rail in the midst of this pause on my part and while every instinct of self-preservation in me was blindly flinging itself so to speak against the black and horrible situation that imprisoned me and while i was hopelessly endeavouring to consider what was to be done to save the young fellow alongside of me from destruction for as to his father it was impossible to extend my sympathies at such a moment 
to one whom i had not seen who did not appeal to me as it were in form and voice for succour i say in the midst of this pause of hopeless deliberation the roar of the hurricane ceased on a sudden nothing more i was sure was signified by this than a lull to be followed by some fierce chop round or by the continuance of the westerly tempest with a bitterer spite in the renewed rush of it the lull may have lasted ten or fifteen seconds in that time i do not know that there was a breath of air to be felt outside the violent eddyings and draughts occasioned by the sickening motions of the bark i looked up at the sky and spied the leanest phantom of a star that glimmered for the space of a single swing of a pendulum and then vanished behind a rushing roll of vapour of a midnight hue winging with incredible velocity from the land so insupportable was the movement of the deck that i was forced to support myself by a belaying pin or i must have been thrown my companion clung to a similar pin close beside me the thunder of running and colliding waters rose into the magical hush of tempest i could hear the booming of the surf as far as hurricane point and the cauldron-like noises of the waters round about the rocks astern of us has the storm ceased cried my companion oh beloved father we may be spared yet he added extending his disengaged hand toward the deck-house as he apostrophized the helpless man who lay there amazed as i was by this instant cessation of the gale i could yet find mind enough to be struck by my companion's manner by his words and now i may say by his voice also i was about to address him but as my lips parted there was a vivid flash of lightning that threw out the whole scene of a bay cliff foreshore and town with the line of the horizon seawards in a dazzle of violet a crash of thunder followed but before its ear-splitting reverberation had ceased the echoes of it were drowned in the bellowing of the gale coming directly off the land what is there in words to express the fury of this outfly it met the heave of the landward running seas and swept them into smoke and the air grew as white and thick with spume as though a heavy snowstorm were blowing horizontally along it took the bark and swung her her labouring was so prodigious as she was thrust by this fresh hurricane broadside round to the surge that i imagined every second she would founder under my feet i felt a shock my companion cried one of the cables has parted a moment later i felt the same indescribable tremble running through the planks on which we stood is that the other cable gone do you think i shouted there is a lead line over the side he cried it will tell us if we are adrift i followed him to the near mizzen rigging neither of us durst let go with one hand until we had grip of something else with the other it was now not only the weight of the wind that would have laid us prone and pinned us to the deck a pyramidal sea had sprung up as though by enchantment and each apex as it soared about the bows and sides was blown inwards in a very avalanche of water which with each violent roll of the vessel poured in a solid body to the rail one side or the other again and again to the height of our waist my companion extended his hand over the bulwarks and cried here is the lead line it stretches toward the bows oh sir we are adrift we are blowing out to sea i put my hand over and grasped the line and instantly knew by the angle of it that the lad was right by no other means would he have been able to get at the truth the weight of lead by resting on the bottom immediately told if the bark was dragging all around was white water the blackness of the night drooped to the very spit of the brine not the light was to be perceived not the vaguest outline of the cliff and the whole scene of darkness was the more bewildering for the throb of the near yeast upon the eyesight 
Is your binnacle light burning? I cried. The lad answered, Yes! Then, I shouted, We must find out the quarter the gale has shifted into and get her stern onto it and clear Hurricane Point, if Almighty God will permit. There may be safety in the open, but there is none here. With the utmost labor and distress, we made our way aft. The flare had been extinguished by the heavy falls of water, and it was worse than walking blindfolded. The binnacle light was burning. This was, indeed, to be expected. The bark was plunging directly head to wind, and a glance at the card enabled me to know that the gale was blowing almost due east, having shifted, as these cyclonic ragings often do, right into the quarter opposite whence it had come. We must endeavor to get her before it, I cried. But I am no sailor. There may come another shift, and we ought to clear the land while the hurricane holds as it does. What is to be done? Will she pay off if the helm is put hard over? He answered. Let us try it. He seized the spokes on one side. I put my shoulder to the wheel on the other, and thus we jammed and secured the helm into the posture called by sailors hard a starboard. She fell off, indeed, into the trough, and there she lay, amid such a diabolical play of the water, such lashings of seas on both sides, as it is not in mortal pen to portray. Had we been in the open ocean, a better attitude than the bark herself had taken up we could not have wished for. She was indeed hove to, as the sea expression is, giving something of her bow to the wind, and was in that posture which the shipmaster will put his vessel into in such a tempest as was now blowing. But unhappily the land was on either hand of us, and though our drift might be straight out to sea, I could not be sure that it was. The tide would be making to the west and north. The coils and pyramids and leapings of surge had also a sort of yearning and leaning towards northwest, as if in sympathy with the tide. The deadly terrace of Hurricane Point lay that way, and so the leaving of the bark in the trough of the sea might come, indeed, to cost us our lives, which had only just been spared by the shift in the storm of the wind. She does not answer the helm, I cried to my young companion. Her head will pay off, he answered. If we can manage to hoist a fragment of sail forward, it must be done, sir. Will you help me? God knows I will do anything, I cried. Show me what is to be done. We must save our lives if we can. There may be a chance out on the ocean for us. Without another word, he went forward and I followed him. We had to pause often to preserve ourselves from being floated off our feet. The flood, which washed white betwixt the rails, lifted the rigging off the pins and sent the ropes snaking about the docks, and our movements were as much hampered as though we fought our way through the jungle. The foam all about us, outside and inboards, put a wild, cold glimmer into the air, which enabled us to distinguish outlines. In fact, at moments the whole shape of the bark, from her bulwarks to some distance up her mass, would show like a sketch in ink upon white paper as she leaned off the slant of the sea and painted her figure upon the heel of froth thundering away from her on the lee side. My companion paused for a moment or two under the shelter of the caboose, or galley, to tell me what he meant to do. We then crawled on to the forecastle, and he bade me hold by a rope which he put into my hand and await his return. I watched him creep into the eyes of the vessel and get upon the bowsprit, but after that I lost sight of him, 
for the seas smoked so fiercely all about the ship's head to every plunge of her bows there rose so shrouding a thickness of foam that the air was a fog of crystals where the lad was and had he gone overboard he could not have vanished more utterly from my sight indeed i could not tell whether he was gone or not and a feeling of horror possessed me when i thought of being left alone in the vessel with a sick and useless man lying somewhere aft and with the rage and the darkness of the dreadful storm around me the chance of striking upon hurricane point and no better hope at the best than what was to be got out of thinking of the midnight breast of the storming atlantic after a few minutes there was the noise of the rattling of canvas resembling a volley of small shot fired off the bows the figure of the lad came from the browsprit out of a burst of spray that soared in steam into the wind only a fragment must be hoisted he exclaimed with his mouth at my ear pull with me i put my weight upon the rope and together we rose a few feet of the sail upon the stay it was the foretopmast staysail as i afterwards discovered enough cried my companion in his clear penetrating voice if it will but hold till the vessel pays off all will be well we dare not ask for more he secured the rope we had dragged upon to a pin and i followed him aft finding leisure even in that time of distress and horror to wonder at the coolness the intrepidity of soul that was expressed in his clear unfaltering speech in the keen judgment and instant resolution of a lad whose age as i might gather from his voice could scarcely exceed fifteen or sixteen years between us we seized the wheel afresh one on either side of it and waited but we were not to be kept long in suspense even before we had grasped the helm the bark was paying off the rag of canvas held nobly and to the impulse of it the big bows of the vessel rounded away from the gale and in a few minutes she was dead before it pitching furiously with the sea snapping and foaming to her taffrail and quarters by the thickness of her yards with the canvas rolled up on them the thickness of the mass too the spread of the tops the complicated gear of shroud backstay and running rigging all off offered resistance enough to the dark and living gale that was bellowing right over the stern to put something of the speed of an arrow into the keel of the fabric through it she madly raced with pallid clouds blowing about her bows and white peaks hissing along her sides and a wake of snow under her counter heaving to half the height of the mizzenmast with the whirl of the seas and a ceaseless blowing of froth over our heads as the lad and i stood together grasping the wheel steering the vessel into the darkness of the great atlantic ocean with our eyes upon the compass card whose illuminated disc showed the course on which we were being flashed forwards by the storm to be a trifle south of west end of chapter 3 recording by violet blue of albertville